Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network is a Moonsault Media production and is intended for private use only. For more information, contact RetromaniaPodcast at gmail.com. Hey everybody, and welcome to Marking Out the Day's Extreme Watch-Alongs. I'm one half of the hosting squad, Kobe Nida, and as always, I am joined here with the mayor of Kicking Out It too, the man that holds it down, Dave E. Dangerously Rosenbluth. <laughs> uh, Dave E. Dangerously. Yeah. You know, if only there was an E in my middle name, uh, but yeah, I, I get it, I we'll, get it. We'll Paul respect e, Dave E. Dave E. Dangerously kind of going off last week. Yeah, I got you. Okay. We'll, we'll be creative, though. We'll spell your name D-A-V, and then the E at the end will be part of the Dave E. Dangerously. Oh, okay. All right. I get it. I get it now. I get it now. Yeah, we're, one ear out the other. Yeah, I get it. We're thinking We're thinking. Uh, 1997 style extreme, where everything was kind of extreme and like oh, all spelling right. things all with right. K's and uh, instead of C's. And, set, and then Z's instead of S's, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, All yeah, right. Yeah. R- Roger that. All right. <laughs> so welcome, everybody. The fourth installment of our Extreme Watch-Alongs here on Marking Out the Days. It's ECW Hardcore TV. We run it down weekly. Uh, this episode, January 21st, 1997. Uh, you can find on the Peacock Season 5, Episode 4, if you want to watch along with us. We run it down and we talk about some news and then we kind of, uh, you know, make fun of the show or give you some factoids and we make it fun for you, you know? Um, so uh, if you've enjoyed... We try to at least. Yeah. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. Uh, you can find us on any podcasting app by searching Retromania with a W. And uh, we have an illustrious archive of over 400 podcasts and hundreds of hours of content for your ears. The archive is evergreen. You can find Dave's show, Kicking Out at Two, plenty of other shows, Origin of Attitude, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania is Dead, Marking Out the Day Season 1, where we ran down WWF Superstars vs. WCW Saturday Night in 1992. Now, this season, we're running down the year of 1997. And Dave, you're supposed to be running down the year of 1997, but... Uh, technical difficulties and uh, no, it's not technical difficulties. The floor is still not fucking down. Okay, there's still no fucking floor. He's got a ring with ropes and turnbuckles, and uh, and no 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 boards on the ring. You know? No. Yeah. No posts. Yeah. It's, just, it's a it's a nightmare. It's a, it's a nightmare. Like it, like I disclosed last week to all of our loyal listeners. Yes. Uh, again, thank you all for listening and joining in with us. Let's get into this so we can just uh, roll through this episode. It, it, it's going to be 47 minutes. We're going to count down like we normally do. You don't have to watch along with us, but if you do, it's always fun. Uh, like I said, find it on the Peacock uh, Get Your Cock Out, Season 5, Episode 4, January 21st, 1997. We count down 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. When we say play, hit play with us and you'll be watching along. Ready, Dave? Yes, I am. All right, 5. Four, three, two, one, hit play. Ah, yeah, the crowd cheering and Joey Styles, the man that always, you know, holds the reins for 
WCW or ECW at this time. Jesus. Well, they almost did for WCW at one point. Really? Towards the end, they, they WCW look, was looking to hire him to do the play-by-play when Eric Bischoff and Fusion Media was uh, looking to acquire WCW. Oh yeah, before, I, I could before, definitely... before the sale went before the sale uh, went belly up. I could definitely see him doing a great job um, in WCW, bringing some more uh, you know uh, insider into the into the. Uh, the commentary there. I never oh, was. Come on. Come on. <laughs> are you, are you serious right now? Oh, Tommy dreamer. Just standing there. He didn't and know that all pe- those bad guys were just standing there. Yeah. Tommy dreamer. Had shot. Chris Candido, Shane Douglas, job, if you will. And Brian Lee just beat him up, but they were standing there all like they just cued the spotlight and it's like, Hey, it's me, but we're already here. Um, Man. What a despicable act by the fake Undertaker with the garbage can to the back of the heart of ECW, Tommy Dreamer. Absolutely. Uh, I wonder if, if uh, he does the Undertaker voice, you know, this is my yard. Or or, <laughs> or he just sounds like a ripoff. Um, have you ever seen Suburban Commando? Ooh, DDT yes. onto the... You know how Undertaker's voice is in there, where it's like high-pitched? Maybe that's, You're a dead man, Ramsey! Right, maybe that's Brian Lee's voice. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Oh, oh, the, off the, oh my God, off the stage, to the floor, Shane Douglas, what a despicable act, you sanctimonious son of a bitch! What the hell are you thinking? And they are the triple threat there with Francine. Uh, another iteration of Shane Douglas's triple threat. Now, let me ask you, because you watched a little more ECW than I did. Back then, 25 years ago, what did the triple threat, did the triple threat remind you of anything? What what kind of impact did they have on, as, as a faction in wrestling? Because this is, you know, I, I, I didn't watch this back then, so I really, I really couldn't, gives you an opinion so i'd love to know oh wait it's the goddamn funker you son of a bitch you you like sucking dog your mother's a whore coming for redemption um i mean to be honest i i watched later 1997 but following it back when i when i caught up on the network and watching uh ecw kind of loosely uh going through episodes throughout the years um you know, Shane Douglas did leave a big impact, and we talked about this on a different episode. You know, he 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 had dropped the the belt and started this ECW revolution, and he was the forefront of it for for a bit in um in in ECW. So him making this faction and being part of this faction, which uh, originally was also uh, Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit with Shane Douglas. Yep. Um, so factions were really big at this time as we see with NWO and then we'll see the heart foundation DX, you know, um, it, it, it becomes it's ECW's biggest faction, you know? So, okay. so I think there was an impact. And as you see, dreamer bladed the hell out of his head, even though he got thrown off the stage. I don't know why you would land. He took a thirst. trash can shot. Oh, true. Trash true. Shot. True. That's right. Well, as he helps himself on the stretcher. Yeah, violence. I don't remember personally this iteration of the triple threat though with Brian Lee okay. because I wasn't I wasn't um, aware that Brian Lee. Had... Oh my goodness! 
Wildfire Tommy Rich in his Zubaz sweatpants with a vest and no t-shirt. Still not wearing a fucking shirt because he needs to. Fabletics. Terry Fabletics. That's it. Somebody say somebody getting fired up. (laughs) Stomping the hell out of Dreamer and Terry Funk. Oh my goodness. Tommy Rich. Tommy Wildfire Rich. Is on a is is he's a house of fire right wow. now. Good lord! And what does this remind you of? Is really like AEW, just you know, a, a new storyline after a new storyline. You know, um, a guy gets beat up and then he's going backstage and gets beat up with an by another guy. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. I'll say that there's a lot of moving parts. It's funny too. You bring that up because I was just having this conversation the other day with someone about AEW and. You know, I, I watch their show. I'm not a huge fan, but there are things about it I like. There's guys I like to watch. I think that they, you know, they, they offer something different than WWE, but they are not the end-all, be-all to wrestling, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Tony Khan is definitely a wrestling fan, okay? I mean, he's, he's a mark. He's just like the rest of us. He just happens to have more money in his bank account than the rest of us, probably combined. And so, <laughs> Khan... Is he's adopted many elements of the wrestling he watched growing up and put it in modern form. Like, he has taken elements of WCW and Nitro and put it into his programming, as well as some stuff with ECW. Some he's stuff adopted with ECW. Some of that stuff into it. And he's kind of taken, like a, like, a throwback of 25 years ago of the way wrestling was presented and put it in a modern bubble if you will absolutely um, and i i think there's good good to come out of that but i also think too that it's it it's it's kind of it's kind of halting forward movement and progression in wrestling with, with the way that the product is presented but i i mean personally i'm a fan of nostalgia i kind of dig some of it so i i can respect his his fandom and how he translates that into his booking. Absolutely. Well, okay, let's put this into comparison, too, because we've talked about this on our show, uh, Catching Up, um, as well as other iterations. AC has, and those guys have talked about it, too. Like, AEW does a lot, and it seems, like, sporadic, and like we've said, it's reminiscent of this time of ECW, and then some elements of WCW. But didn't that get the audience burnt out. So by 1999, when ECW and WCW alike are doing all the, the garbage can, the everything in every single match, uh, it, it kind of got the, the audience burnt out uh, the, at, to an extent WWF was doing that, but they didn't overload it. You know, it, it, it came in like came in little waves. Um, do you think the well, same? Yeah, I mean, they, they took they, they took elements of ECW and the garbage wrestling and they created a segment for it as the hardcore division. Correct. And that's when you saw that sort of stuff. Now, granted, some of the more higher profile angles on WWF programming during the Attitude Era would see a stipulation match like an I Quit match or a Last Man Standing match, but that's they, like a blow off. Yeah, you know, like it wasn't every single match on the show. Is you know, WW people will chastised the WWF, the WWE for taking elements of ECW's programming and putting it into their presentation, but it made the, it worked for them. It you did. Know, it, they it, were doing it better. Like some of the angles too that they took. It not even just the hardcore element, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, they, 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 I guess you could say they, they, they brought it to a mainstream level. Mm-hmm. The blurring, the blurring of the lines, the blurring of the lines that we spoke of before on this show, like, uh, you know, with, with the way that Taz is talking in the ring right now, um, you know, it, it just, there was, it seemed real. And there was, there was yep. elements of WWF, especially with Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and Steve Austin at this time, and a lot of other people in the company. Uh, there was elements of heat. And in WCW, yep. you know, you get the backstage heat with Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan. Um, it, it's a lot of that is coming to the forefront. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So we see Taz in the ring with Bill Alfonso. This is before Bill Alfonso was, uh, what was the uh, manager to what? What was he doing there? The with um, Sabu and uh, eventually Rob Van Dam. Yeah, Taz is in the ring talking shit about Rob Van Dam right now, being in Japan. RVD, what are you doing over there with your airbrush tights and your and your and your, and your, and your, your slick back ponytail? You think you're something special? You're not, brother, because you're not from Red Hook. You're not from Brooklyn. That's where I'm from. I got a long leather coat that's longer than me. I got brown sweatpants. Looks like I found them in the UPS store, <laughs> if you will, with a with a maroon fanny pack and my wrestler boots that I got them tucked in real tight. That's right. And I still have the same outfit in my closet. 25 years later, I tried to put him on my son Hook, but he said no. And then he gave me the red rum, and it was all she wrote. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And I put my limb in my in my, in my my coat, and I was tearing people limb from limb, and that's what he's and talking about. And then I was giving him a Gucci Katami, because I don't even know what a Gucci Katami is. I thought I ordered it at the Hibachi, but I didn't. So, therefore, I gave him a Gucci Katami. Yeah, I have a shirt that's a Gucci, but I spilled a Tommy sauce all over it. I didn't even know what a Tommy sauce is. Do you know what it is? <laughs> it's Tom, It's Tommy Dreamer's scum. Oh, my. Oh, oh, brother. Oh, you filthy redneck mother. Oh, uh, Tommy Dreamer and, and, um, and Taz at this time are, are really putting a lot of production effort into ECW with Paul E, you know? Everyone was. It was an all-hands-on-deck type of operation. Yeah. And you weren't getting paid extra for it either. <laughs> you were lucky to get paid. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, you had to be creative to get yourself over. And, and Taz was definitely a, 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 a an emblem of that, or, you know, a representation of that. Absolutely. Like, do you remember Taz before when he first started, the Tasmaniac? Did you ever oh, see any of that? Oh, God. He was like an opening act in an indie show. Right. It's crazy, you know, the evolution of uh, how all of a sudden people were able to take him seriously. But that was out. That was throughout the booking of 1992 till like 1994, almost, where they were booking the Tasmaniac as the Tasmaniac, and then he transitioned into a real person, Taz. You know? Yeah. Well, that was before they did all that extreme stuff where they blurred the lines and they let these guys be who they were. You know, that was that was much different. They were still kind of running on the. Um, the, the NWA model, yeah. you know, because the NWA was associated with Eastern Championship Wrestling before it became Extreme Championship Wrestling. As we see, the ECW World Tag Team Champions, Saturn and Cronus, the Eliminators, making their way to the ring. Yes, indeed. Um, big match here. Uh, who, who are they going against? Devon Dudley and Axel Rotten. Right on. This was, I think, this was before Bubba and Devon became a team. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Because Bubba and Devon, 
the Dudley's uh, most most people don't know this, but the Dudley Boys story, the origin of the Dudley Boys in professional wrestling, they started as enemies, Bubba and Devon. Bubba was this lovable baby face with a stuttering gimmick, and Devon was the evil, treacherous Dudley of the of the two. And they had a they they waged war against one another for for quite a while in the original ECW. Absolutely, the this was uh, Paul E's iteration of like the Country Boys or or you know um, like the Moon Dogs type of deal, where they were all family, but they weren't together yet. And even at this taping, uh, this is from this this was taped January eighteenth, nineteen ninety seven. This match uh-huh. uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where the the you know Jim and Pam and the the cast of the office were probably sitting down watching. Scranton? Are you sure about that? Because this looks like the ECW arena in Philly. Oh. Well. I could be I could be wrong, but I don't know. Just okay. Well, the card here it, it, earlier in the night it was Axel Rotten and Devon Dudley defeating Bubba Ray Dudley and Spike Dudley. So they had a match prior in the evening. Uh, and then later, the e- ECW Tag Team Championship is the Eliminators defeating Axel Rotten and Devon Dudley, which is this match, I believe. Okay. Yeah, because that looks like Philly. The the, the ECW arena. Eh, I mean, I, 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 I'm looking I here. mean, every, every bingo yes. hall looks the same. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. They all look the same. Sorry for being racist towards bingo halls, but they all look the same. <laughs> oh, you know what? You are right. This is from the. This is from a January fourth. Uh, t- no, that's that's Massachusetts. So, uh, I I'm sorry. I'm I'm killing the I'm killing the show right now. Um, so anyhow, the the over the weekend was the the WWF Royal Rumble, correct? In yeah. this timeline. So that was a big moment there for uh, Steve Austin and Bret Hart and breaking some uh, kayfabe, quote-unquote, as, wow, Devon going off the apron there. You know, big match. But uh, my question was, you know, WWF at the time, like we said, is is starting to take more elements of ECW and then do it their way. What if yep. ECW were to take an element of WWF with the Royal Rumble. How would you see that going if they were to book the Royal Rumble this month in January of this state in ECW? Who would win and they would go on to face maybe Raven or what would you do to to get to Barely Legal as their version of WrestleMania? That's an interesting that's an interesting proposal there because I mean if you were if you really want to get into it and play fantasy booker I mean, you could I, do would, I would, I, I, Raven's the champion at the time. We have a Raven's feud. the champ. Okay. Yep. He's we, the champion. We have a feud with him and Sandman, but then we also have a feud with the, the franchise and Tommy dreamer. Um, but then we also have a feud with Terry Funk being involved with them and Raven. Um, okay. All right. All right. Pump the brakes. Here we go. Let's and then Sabu and Taz. Does- let, let's say ECW does their own version of Royal Rumble, okay? We got all these different moving parts here. So Sabu and Taz, they will try to find a way to get at each other in this version of their Royal Rumble, but it'll be just like everything else in the original buildup that, that they won't be able to get to each other. They might even cause each other's eliminations at some point, um, maybe a big pull apart uh, where they still can't get at each other. 
but they 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 will be unsuccessful in you know winning the 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 extreme rumble if you will Correct. um now <clears throat> i can see <clears throat> i could see terry funk not even making it to the royal rumble yeah and being attacked the by shane douglas and his crew and somehow miraculously tommy dreamer wins the royal rumble mm. and tommy dreamer decides to give up his title shot mm. for the ECW championship at Barely Legal and give it to Terry Funk. Wow. So Terry Funk goes against Raven. Yes. Well, that would be the projected plan. However, along the way, Terry Funk could have to go through a few hoops and obstacles, you know, with Paul Heyman and, and Todd Gordon, you know, talking about how he's got to earn it. Um, maybe even dreamer, um, receiving some kind of backlash mm-hmm. for giving up the title shot, maybe, you know, from another member of the locker room. Maybe this is how they introduce RVD into the fold a little more. Um, I don't know. But mm-hmm. Dreamer giving up the title shot to Funk, I think would be, especially with the, with the angle they had with Funk at the time, I think that would be an interesting scenario. Yeah. Absolutely, I like that. I like that. We see, we see the total elimination right there. Great move at the time. Probably one of the best uh, tag team moves at the time. You know, there's been other variations of it used by different teams. You know, whether it's like a chop block from behind and a clothesline. I think um, I forget who used to do that, but I've seen other teams do similar combination style moves. I think I think this is the best iteration of it. Um, oh, I agree. I, if you're if you hit if you're on the money. If you yeah. hit it on the money, you know yeah. what I mean? The timing. Yeah, the um, timing of it. For sure. I, I like the prediction there uh, that you have. I, I would do the same thing. I would have Sabu and Taz almost take each other out like a suplex through the table off the top, and then they're both kind of out um, and, and maybe have to be taken out so that that, cu- that feud kind of continues until barely legal. And then uh, I, I was on the same page. Tommy Dreamer wins, but uh, he he challenges uh, Raven, um, which I know that that feud has been going on for forever. But uh, that would have been their their WrestleMania, you know, babyface going to the main event and getting his redemption against the man who has put him through so much torture. And then I would have had Sandman and Terry Funk go against the 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 Triple Threat and have like a a, a special partner, you know. Oh, like a third guy, like a six-man tag. Yeah, maybe bring in. Maybe bring in if they could have, you know, uh, Mick Foley at the time. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that idea. That's a, that's a that's a neat little setup there. I like that idea. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, so that's an interesting scenario. You want to talk about the Royal Rumble for a minute? Um, absolutely. The um, the Royal Rumble drew the second largest paid attendance in U.S. wrestling history, according to the to the Wrestling Observer. The total attendance was 60,525 fans, with over 48,000 of them paid. The only larger paid attendance was for WrestleMania three, which drew 78,000, allegedly, wow. of, which, of which nearly 76,000 was paid, not the 93,173 that WWE claims, according to Dave Meltzer. WrestleMania eight had more people in the building than this Rumble event, but WrestleMania eight was heavily papered and not nearly as many of those fans paid. The WWF sold 
20,000 Rumble tickets in the last few days due to mostly $5 and $7 discount coupons from local Taco Bells. Because of these cheap tickets, the show didn't break many gate records. Plus, when you factor in the massive amount of money spent on advertising, the show wasn't as big of a moneymaker as one might expect. It was still profitable, but not hugely show. Hugely so. Wow. Uh, I heard I heard, Bruce Pritchard did a uh, uh, episode covering this Royal Rumble, and they did they Meltzer's not wrong in the fact that they did um, they did local promotions in the area with um, with like Seven uh, Elevens and 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 different kinds of uh, you know combo deals with other retailers and stuff where they would throw in you know tickets to the Rumble if you purchased X amount of whatever. Oh, Triple Threat's back. Here we go! Wow, yeah, and as you were as you were talking, uh, running down the the Royal Rumble uh, Taco Bell promotion, which uh, Royal Bell, uh, yeah, that'll that'll be a Royal, Taco Rumble. That, yeah, that'll be a, that's what you have. You have a Royal smell after that. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, we had the we had Bubba and Pitbull number two going against Devon and um, Axel there. So we did see the Bubba, the, the Dudleys uh, going after each other, but then the triple threat comes in and attacks Pitbull number two and Bubba, which it's, it's and, odd and seeing she, Bubba as a face right here. Yep. Speaking of Bubba, did you hear the recent comments he made regarding John Moxley? Yeah, he can go fuck himself because yeah, he, he, what a fucking asshole. He does the same. He did the same thing. We'll see it this year. I mean, we saw you know in in 1997 essentially. Oh wow! And uh, Shane Douglas, Brian Lee putting Pipple number two through a table. Shane Douglas dropping the arm there onto the table with his, his signature DDT. But earlier in, in did you see Pipple number two? Did a fallaway slam to Axel Rotten. That looks so nasty because Axel Rotten yeah. fell, fell right on his head. But uh, that was yeah. a, that was a huge fallaway slam from the second term buckle. It was a, that was an impressive move. Yes, indeed it was. Yeah, for for those of you uh, listening, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Moxley returned, and he wrestled at the the Game Changer Wrestling pay per view. Against homicide in, in the Hammerstein Ballroom last night, and there was a there was a fuck bully Ray chant by the audience. Um, so uh, very apropos. Well, I'm curious as to you know how bully Ray is going to respond to that and the backlash that he had received for his controversial comments towards John Moxley's um, uh, stint in rehab. I sometimes think it's because he's involved with like the busted open radio. Isn't he involved with that sometimes? Yeah, he's yeah he's he's a co-host. He's a regular. So I think it's it's generating traffic for him. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's no he's he's no dummy. He's he's working it for the show, and he, I wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to work an angle to 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 get to to get back in the mainstream somehow. Yeah, you know that's just me. I mean, I I could be mistaken, but um, that I I feel like he's definitely trying to work some kind of angle with Moxley, you know, then, you know what, Tony Khan would be the first one to kind of capitalize on that and, and, and bring it to the forefront on AEW programming. So I actually wouldn't mind seeing Moxley and Bully Ray in some type of uh, personal rivalry of sorts. Um, even if it's just short term, you know, a quick, like one and done to help, you know, build up Moxley more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we see Brian Lee and Terry Funk. The bulldozer. Oh, Brian. 
Yeah, this is from uh, the ECW the arena. Un- this is this the, was taped January 11th. The Underfaker. This was an event called the House Party 1997. Okay. Yeah. The Underfaker. Yeah. I'm gonna get you, Terry. There's <laughs> Terry Funk screaming and hollering. Your mother's a whore. Yeah, sucking dog. Yeah, and this year, uh, you know, Terry would eventually retire and then come back. I heard a very funny Terry Funk story. I, I thought it was funny. It might not be funny to everybody else, but um, when Terry Funk was Chainsaw Charlie in the WWF a year after this this show here, um, he wrestled at WrestleMania 14 with Cactus Jack. Yeah, and. They wrestled in the dumpster match against the New Age Outlaws. And Terry Funk, um, they powerbombed Funk into the dumpster. And Funk had some sort of an abrasion or some sort of injury to his hip area when he when he landed in the dumpster. And I, you could kind of see it on camera when he's, with his jeans kind of pulled down. It's like this big, giant, like, red bruising. Like, it was, it was nasty looking. Hmm. So... Anyhow, Bruce Pritchard tells this story on his podcast. Um, Funk had to go get treated for the um, for the injury, and they did the every year they've done the WrestleMania after party where they have a big catered event. And, you know the the food spread. I've been to two of them. They've been phenomenal. Fun. I've had some fun times. I can tell some stories. My nights, my nights at some of these uh, events. But anyhow, Very cool. Bruce. So Terry Funk had to go get go to the doctor. He had to go to the hospital and get looked at. And he refused to go because he wanted to go to the party. And so Pritchard says that, well, if you're not going to go, you need to get looked at here. We'll have a physician take a look at you. So they had the, I think it was the Boston Celtics or the Bruins team doctor because they were in Boston for that show and one of WWF's physicians they were they were kind of I don't know what they were doing to him but Funk ordered Pritchard to bring him 14 screwdrivers so Terry Funk knocked back 14 screwdrivers as these doctors were 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 fixing him up in his hip area during the Wrestlemania 14 after party after the show Fourteen screwdrivers. Well, I heard uh, you know Terry Funk and Ric Flair alike uh, were guys that could put them down. A lot of wrestlers have stories of that they just you know had a high tolerance for alcohol because that was it on the road. You know, just throwing them back after. Arn Anderson says that that Ric Flair Ric Flair drinking stories are myths. He Uh, gets everybody. He gets everybody shit faced, and he's the one that's walking away clean. Oh, he's he's the sneaky motherfucker that's pouring the shots over his shoulder. Yep. As yeah. we see Bulldozer Brian Lee performing a a, a pile driver there. No, funk no selling it. But it's not a tombstone pile driver. It's it's a bulldozer dri- driver, whatever. Oh, interesting. I like that. I like that bulldozer driver. Well, at least he's got a certification. And and, and then we do know he does have a motorcycle license. So this guy is a highly trained uh, vehicle. Yep. T- a vehicle technician. Yes, he's, he, he works for DOT. Instead of the DOA, it's the DOT, the Department of Transportation. Oh, that's perfect. 
Oh, man. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Let's talk about uh, some news here. So you see the Funker looks like he's going to go for a pile driver of his own. Oh, onto the chick. Jesus Christ. Wow. That looked nasty. Good Lord. Um, the Wrestling Observer on the January 27th uh, release had talked about ECW is talking about doing a second pay-per-view later in the year, Scranton, Pennsylvania, but it ends up being in Florida. So, Correct. Hardcore heaven, 97. Yeah. Cool stuff there. I mean, they're, they're getting their bearings, you know, they're, they're, even... I think the second pay-per-view was tingent on, on the success of the first one. Absolutely. If I'm not mistaken. But... I, I think, I think the deal was, was if you, you, you draw this number, you, uh, you, you we'll, we'll give you a second show. Yeah, and at this time, WCW and e, and WWF are producing monthly pay per views. So, yep. W uh, wrestling in general is is on an upswing, and ECW catches that upswing uh, tilt. And in 1998, they would end up having far more pay per views. Yeah, they would go every other month. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Which I always looked forward to seeing those on the black box when we had that at the house. Um, we had uh-huh. access to the pay-per-views. That was the uh, that was the special bonus. That's when I got more exposure to ECW because, like we said, it was hard to find it on TV. We've talked about that hundreds of times, but yeah, seeing the pay-per-views was was a special special moment. Yeah, I've caught some ECW pay-per-views on the black box before myself. I had a friend who had one of those. And- go over there check it out yeah it was uh it it was like you said it felt special you know and that's the that's you know what i'm glad you brought that up because i was thinking about that recently and i'm not bullshitting here but pay-per-view events they don't feel special anymore and i think a lot of that is due in part to the wwe network model and how they offered the pay-per-views with the price point of 9.99 now they're on peacock of course but um I will give AEW this. They make their pay-per-views feel special, even though they only do them quarterly. They do, you know, a couple, you know, they do four pay-per-views a year. And they make those shows feel special, you know, where it's, they load their cards up, they they build their their stories to a certain point, and then they, they blow them off at the particular show, and... It makes those shows feel special, even to the point where the the production, the set, the entrance way, where it's different than what you see normally on a week-to-week basis. Where WWE, they got the same one big video wall um, every week for all their TV shows, and then the same one for their pay-per-views as well. Money in the Bank looked the same for like five years in a row. Same with, you know, uh, Extreme Rules. Um, Those type of things, I think, is due to excess. And as we, it's funny that we're just talking about ECW gets more access, but it becomes excess because every month having that pay-per-view is a lot to pe- for people to buy, is a lot yep. for people to, to latch on to unless you're really doing, really doing good business, which 1997 and 98 were. But yeah. you can only do that for so long when you're doing all this stuff. So quarterly, I think, works better. But the, yeah. You gotta have. Well, let's look. All right, let's, let's look at ECW's first go around. Barely legal it was in April. Okay. Yes. They the, the that 
same month, WCW had Spring Stampede, which was headlined by Diamond Dallas Page and Randy Savage. Um, most people expected Sting and Hogan to headline that card based on Sting's um, uh, betrayal of the NWO because he was that brooding character. He kind of joined the NWO briefly. Most people expected Sting and Hogan, but they got Page and Savage, which was a good show. I, I, I actually recently did a... A couple of years ago, we did a watch-along of that um, on Kicking Out of Two, Dennis and myself. That was a pretty fun show. Find that it in the archive. Month, you can find it in the archive. Spring Stampede 97. Then, uh, what was it? Um, that same month in April of 97, the WWF presented In Your House, Revenge of the Taker. Undertaker and Mankind for the WWF Championship. Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin in a WrestleMania rematch, which go out of your way to watch that WrestleMania rematch as much as the, rematch, the, the match at Mania is regarded as the, their greatest match. Bret and Austin had some phenomenal matches, and this one was no different at Revenge of the Taker. But anyhow... It's a slept-on match. It's more of a brawl. ECW, ECW placing this pay-per-view in the month of April, I think was a good strategic move, not because that was the only time... That was the only slot they could get, but it was a month following WrestleMania, where most people kind of check out after Wrestlemania when it comes casual viewers check out after Wrestlemania because all the big angles have been blown off and WCW wasn't really they they were still hot with the NWO angle but that pay-per-view didn't set the world on fire either no. so it it, it it was a perfect opportunity for viewers who may watch WWF and WCW says you know what I'm gonna skip those two shows I'm going to order the ECW show for April and see what this is all about. Especially the, with the presentation of it. You know, the, the promotions for Barely Legal, you know, made it seem like we've been talking about, like this hardcore, this exclusive event that you're going to see real wrestling rather yep. than the old guys or, you know, any type of remark like that to discourage the other companies. Like the old guy we're seeing getting stomped under this broken table by Bulldozer <laughs> D.O.T. over here. You know, it, what's funny is when... Terry Funk, I mean, both of these guys end up going to WWF uh, this Correct. year, actually. But Terry Funk going in as Chainsaw Charlie, it was his idea. And, I heard that. And it's not a not a great idea. Um, but do you it's think fun. do you think fans at the time would have known who Terry Funk was? Or, you know, uh, to yeah, the, I do. But I, I, you know, I think if I, I think what they. What the WWF did that was smart at that time was, you know, they presented this Chainsaw Charlie character and people caught on that it was funk, but they acknowledged it. You know, mm. they didn't try they didn't try to fool you and, and continue the magic trick. Right. Like they, they acknowledged it that like, oh, this middle aged and crazy Terry Funk thinks he's Chainsaw Charlie, you know, paired up with Cactus Jack, who has multiple personalities and dude love and mankind. It was a, it was a good pairing in the way that they presented it. And, and the narrative that they told regarding their, their personality issues, I thought was well done. I can, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't think I remember or know I was familiar of, with Terry Funk. I knew he might have been like an older wrestler, but at the time you don't have that much access to that stuff unless you're a hardcore wrestling fan. Yeah. Unless you're renting those older tapes, which, you know, Terry Funk was... NWA for <laughs> yeah that's what I that's what I knew him as you know NWA um, you know even even early WWF like in the '86 when he came in and he was you know with Jim, Jimmy Hart managed him oh we got an attack Shane Douglas back out again this is just triple threat heavy this episode here absolutely 
Shane yeah. Douglas, Candido attacking Terry Funk, the triple threat not far behind. When are we going to get a clean finish to a wrestling match on this show, goddammit? And to think BWO is is stealing elements of NWO and, and making fun of it, but really, the the triple threat right now is doing what NWO was doing on WCW Weekly. Yep. Just beat down after beat down, and every match, every segment was about them. Yeah. Which I mean, I- this episode is heavy on the triple threat, but the one thing I will say is that it, from, from watching these ECW episodes with you and doing this show, it doesn't seem like everything, you know, everyone's overexposed, you know? No, I like think... One episode, like, one episode we watched was, was, um, was, uh, you know, heavily, um, Ooh. it was the art, a nice choke slam through a table. RVD was, was, was heavily involved in that episode with a couple of matches. One, it was the Eliminators, you know what I mean? Like, so, it, it's, it's not like, um, they're trying to cram, I mean, it's only a 45 minute show, but it's not like they're trying to cram everyone on the roster. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll highlight certain guys, certain weeks and, and let, let, let those, let the characters breathe a little bit and then move on to something else. You know, like a couple weeks ago, it was Raven and Sandman. They were the, a heavy part of the show. It's, this it's, week here, it's the, it's the triple threat. So it, it's, it, it, it allows you to, to, to get a break from some of the characters and you know that old absence makes the heart grow fonder uh theory yeah it's cycling it's cycling your roster to keep it fresh you don't want to overexpose anybody and you don't want to uh let people forget about anybody else correct Uh, so uh, brian lee picking up the victory there with the help of the triple threat look at the scars on the body of terry funk i mean just the guy who has been in wars over the years yeah I just saw a recent picture of him with Mick Foley. Mick Foley, I guess, paid a visit to him in Amarillo. Uh, and, you know, Funk looks like he just got out of a fight in this picture. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, I mean, bless his heart. I guess he's he's, he's had some, some health issues in recent years, yes. uh, suffering from early um, signs of dementia. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I, I think he's done making appearances publicly, uh, as far as I know. Oh, they, 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 they blurred out the middle finger. Let's let's go to the audio to this real quick. Okay. I just thought that that was a good segment. I remember watching this episode, and the uh, the crowd is so behind Terry Funk. Um, speaking of, like, they, they're familiar with Terry Funk being a legend and a hardcore ass-kicking machine um, as he's headbutting 
bulldozer Brian Lee, the crowd it was saying, Terry, Terry, which kind of made me think of what if Terry Funk had his own show? In, like, instead of Jerry Springer, it's the Terry Funk show. <laughs> in the time of 1997. said, we're going to bring on Ric Flair's mother, who's a whore. Yeah. And then just brawling and fighting. Terry, Terry, because the the you know the fans were would care, would chant Jerry on the Jerry Springer show, which is a big, big TV show at the time. Oh yeah, that was yeah. I mean, this was the era of shock, jock, enter, you know, shock entertainment. I mean, you had Howard see Stern Gert, on the radio. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. You had Howard Stern on the radio. You had Jerry Springer on TV. You had pro wrestling with ECW. Uh, it was, you know, it was definitely, um, it was, it was definitely uh, getting people's attention. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joel Gertner there got the worst of attention from me. Uh, just the guy. I we we still wonder why they had him there, but again, it's that shock era in television. Yeah, this uh, episode is dwindling down. We have 41 minutes and 20 seconds on the clock here is where we're at. And the show is about to wrap up. Uh, Basically giving us a recap of what happened earlier that night when uh, Tommy Dreamer was attacked from behind, which he should have clearly known that those people were there. But, you know, tis wrestling. Yes. You have to suspend some kind of disbelief. <laughs> oh, dear Lord, look at that choke slam from primetime Brian Lee to Pitbull number two. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, some dead air here from us. That's good stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. So uh, let, let's talk about um, what's going to end up happening here. Uh, a, a guy's going to show up, uh, right? D, a D, guy? A, a guy in a mask is going to show up. Not just any guy. Well, yeah. Well, let, let's, let's, let's wait. Here, here it is. Um, franchise is out um, in the crowd and, you know, running down this referee. This is all franchise show essentially like you said this is where he's kind of highlighted here and he's the television champion at the time and a man in the striped shirt comes out with a mask on and it's rick rude clearly correct yes as a matter of fact there is a um there's there's a an article here there's a, a little tidbit from the observer um talking about rick rude's um arrival in the ECW and how the plans have changed according to Mr. Dave Meltzer. Um, initially they planned to keep him masked and keep his identity a secret with rude going so far as to wear the mask backstage to try, to try to keep the other wrestlers from finding out. But since the fans immediately figured out who it was, they're no longer trying to pretend for now. He's still wearing the mask, but it's openly acknowledged now that it's him. Rude even got involved at the latest show, delivering a rude awakening to Mike awesome and did the hip swivel. Wow. <laughs> you, know you know what's interesting about that? You know, wearing the mask backstage. I think that's pretty freaking silly, okay? I but do too. It's been it's been done before. Because I just listened to a recent episode of Jeff Jarrett's podcast, My World, where he talks about creating the USWA. 
and one of the very first USWA shows in the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas, featured Mil Mascaris. And Jeff Jarrett said he saw Mil Mascaris go into the shower with his mask on and wore his mask in the shower in front of all the boys. Well, that's a little different with a Lucha Libre. They, they, that's like a blessed thing, and they, they, they lived by that. I don't know about yeah, but, necessarily now, but they, they did wear their mask almost everywhere. But to take a shower in front of the boys? Hey, hey Mil, he, he, was bo- he was buried with the fucking mask. Yeah. I mean, same, same with El Santo. It, or, uh, you know, these guys, are, that was different. Uh, I think with Rick Rude here showing up, people clearly knew who the fuck it was. Especially with well, his, yeah, voice. his voice. He's got a very distinct voice. What I'd like to have right now <laughs> is for all you fat, out of shape, Pennsylvania pissants, keep the noise down while I take my mask, I mean my robe off, <laughs> right. and show all you virgins what a sexy man is all about. Yeah, and he's trying to explain here uh, why he's under a mask for two reasons. Um, What's that? What are his reasons behind so, that? So he doesn't have to deal with the stench. The stench of who? Shane Douglas? Yes, of the bleach blonde tub and uh, 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 of him. Yeah. Look at that title belt he's wearing. My God. He looks like he. he that looks like a, a fantasy football championship belt you can order for 40 bucks online. Or the or the kids one that you can get like at a, at a KB Toys or a knockoff toy store. Yeah. Wrestling. Oh my. Wrestling Pro Wrestling League or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So he, Shane Douglas is, uh, getting challenged here, essentially by Rick Rude. Um, it sounds like it. Yeah. To be the man, you got to beat the man. So, uh, I mean, we've had Rick Rude not wrestle in a long time, but I guess he's challenging the franchise. I think this was the period of time where Rude was trying to get back into wrestling and he had that issue with Lloyd's of London. You know, he took that the huge insurance payout mm-hmm. for his injury in WCW, the back injury that he suffered in that match of sting in Japan. And, uh, so I think this was the period of time where he was trying to get back in. And also too, it's ironic that they brought him in as a baby face because, um, there's, there's been stories that came out years ago that rude actually pitched trying to be a baby face in WCW. Um, but the powers that be, if you will, uh, didn't think it was a good idea. Now, if you look at the landscape at that time, you had Sting, who was the, the, the top draw, but then eventually it became Hogan. And mm. so where would Rick Rude fit on the babyface ladder of, uh, you know, in, in WCW? Eventually Randy Savage would come in. He'd get lost in the shuffle as a babyface. And plus, he was so hateable. As a as a bad guy, that I don't think people would buy Rick Rude as a babyface. That's I, just me. Yeah, I was just about to say that same exact thing. I don't think I could buy him as a baby babyface, but right here he came off as a babyface. He wasn't challenging uh, fran- franchise. He was bringing up the challenger for franchise, which turned out to be Gary Wolf, which uh, had that neck injury from the franchise. And Gary Wolf comes out and beats down Shane Douglas. Yeah, I, I don't see I don't see Rick Rude as a face at all. No. Ever. Not in the slightest bit. But 
it, you know, I, I, I've kind of brought the scenario up on kicking out of two. It's been interesting if Rude hadn't gotten injured, where he would have fit in WCW with, with the arrival of Hulk Hogan. You know, um, I mean, you talk about, I mean, I've, I've heard stories that not many people wanted to work with Rude because he was very snug. Mainly Hogan. Hogan heard some mm. stories. I know he beat the Ultimate Warrior up in the backstage years ago. But I think Rick Rude would have drawn great money with Hogan. I think Rick Rude would have drawn fantastic money with Randy Savage. I think with, I think Rick Rude could have been part of the Four Horsemen. And nah, then, you know what? A lot of people say that, but I think Rick Rude was such a big like Rick Rude was the centerpiece. Like he was in the Dangerous Alliance. I I think him and I don't think him and Flair would have lasted very long as, as part of the horseman right that's just me i mean you know you, i'm not trying to stop all over your opinion but i, I, I don't know well hear me I, out I they, they get into the group and they beef that's what the four horsemen did they would beef they would have interfeuds i mean we had barry windham you know replacing uh, lex luger you know vice versa yeah but nobody ever replaced flair no, That's but but you every, have every, you have Rick has, you have Rick Rude in there, kind of uh, nudging nudging him the wrong way, and then they they kick him out of the group. You know, but that would make Rude a babyface. Oh well, maybe that's how you make him a babyface. I guess. <laughs> or you make the Horseman babyface during the time and of NWO. Infiltrate the group with you know. Yeah. I would have I would have liked to have seen a Dangerous Alliance Four Horsemen feud. Oh and, wow! And, you, and they would have had to have made Arn Anderson pick a side. Oh See, wow! See the Dangerous Alliance or the Horsemen. That would have been so perfect timing side, too. The Horsemen, you got Flair. Let's say they bring back. Let's say they bring in Barry Windham, maybe even Dustin Rhodes, and then you put in Arn Anderson. You know that Arn Anderson's like the swing vote. And on the other side, the Dangerous Alliance, you got Rude, Steve Austin, Bobby Eaton, Larry Sabisco, maybe even Brian Pillman. You know, that's how you get the Hollywood Blondes as a thing. Yeah. Who knows? I that, like that. Some, that would have been some interesting stuff. But we have ended this journey here this week on Marking Up the Day's Extreme Watch Along. Season 2, Episode 4. Four? Yeah. 4, covering ECW Hardcore TV from January the 21st, 1997. Thank you all so very much for tuning in, checking us out, watching along with us. If you did, if you didn't, thanks for listening. We appreciate you listening to us and our banter, absorbing our brand of humor as we watch this wrestling here on the Peacock, if you will. Yeah, and, and kind of li- reliving the year of 1997 and our thoughts, you know, retroactively, too. It's That's fun. right. It's fun going back. That's right. That is correct. And that's what we always do here on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Dave, thank you so much. As always, people, if you like this, please like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. You actually have to hit that like button to like it. You can't just like it in your thoughts. Uh, Nowadays, you have to click and press those things. Okay? So please click and press. All right? Thank you, everybody. Dave, (laughs) we'll, we'll talk to you next week.